The Tampering Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. All right, let's say I'm an oil magnet in Greater Dallas, and I've got a meeting It's Tuesday. I don't know what time I'm getting out of there. I don't know about traffic coming into the city. So it's like, I I, I mean, yeah, I got the bucks, but I don't want to just throw it away on nothing if I can't make it to the game. But the Clippers are playing the Mavericks and I'm I'm looking at this app right now and I I can see it, you know, I see it up on there ready for Tuesday night. And as it turns out, I'm getting out of my meeting a little late, but it's going to be getting in there right close to tip off. And that is when I want to jump on these tickets. It's, it's the ticket prices drop as we get closer to game time and I'm going to be coming in late. It's perfect. This app right here, game time is how I'm going to get that done. Good stuff. Couldn't agree more, Joe. And the game time app is simple, quick and easy to navigate. Download the game time app in the Google play or app store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Varner. This is a game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in coming around. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. There's no rocket science. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello out there and welcome to another edition of Tampering, the Athletics NBA Insider Podcast. This is Tampering After Dark. As we are recording on a Sunday night, I'm Joe Varden with my longtime partner now of more than several months, Sam Amick. Sam, how are you? Joseph, I'm doing great. For the record, I want to report accurately here out on the West Coast. The sun is not completely set. It's, uh, you know, 530. the, uh, the sun is still out, but I hear you. We'll be after dark soon enough. Hey, man. And then uh, on the line, uh, the one and only, the I mean, he has been a machine over the last several days and weeks, none other than Michael Lee. Michael, what's up? Hey, what's going on, fellas? Mike, we lied to you. We're, we we told you we were going to talk hoops and, and break down you know the league at large. We just had you on to, to tell us how to do this job, man, the way you've been killing it lately. Uh, can you <laughs> try to take a few notes here? Good Lord. We'll get into the uh, the nitty gritty later, but but Michael's been on a great run telling fantastic stories, just back to back to back to back. Really enjoyed it, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that, man. Meanwhile, I've been spending a bunch of the company's money on these trips and not really writing at all. Hey, but you get a lot of New York time, right? <laughs> I I have been in Brooklyn so much lately that I I miss it, and uh, I don't know. I I may after this, I may be broaching the the topic here at home. We may have to do make make a move. I don't I don't know that we can afford the rent there in uh, Cobble Hill. But hey, I mean, you know, when you feel like home, you feel like home. I mean, you, you've already ridden the ferry. I mean, you've you've done all the things that, that, you, that people in Brooklyn <laughs> do. So might as well. Joe, That's right. you and I hadn't talked since the other day. The other day we were talking offline. I just, I mean, clearly you you made your way that one night when we were on the phone and and you uh, were 
having the the Uber or Lyft driver that was not getting the job done. Joe Michael Joe was legit lost in the middle of nowhere, and uh, I'm just glad to, to hear that he's safe. <laughs> well, listen, I don't get lost. See, the thing the thing I can't do is I can't count. Uh, just absolutely terrible at math, but I always have a good sense of direction. What happened was is right before you called, or maybe I called you. I probably called you, but before I did it. I looked at or I looked at the directions on the phone and the address on the phone and I just read it wrong and I read it to the to the cab driver wrong and then you and I were yapping and yapping and the next thing I know like we're we are coming up on the coordinates that I gave him except the coordinates were wrong and I, it took like 20 minutes to realize they were wrong and um you know there was some language issues uh not with like the like the kinds of words coming out of my mouth but we just we had a hard time uh understanding each other and basically i did not make it to the bar and it was on the uh four train for a very long lonely ride back to brooklyn so sad the athletics saved a few bucks though there's a silver lining here <laughs> that's right that's right. That's right. You did. You were you were out there too, though. You not in New York, but you were in Phoenix with uh, doing a great story on Monty Williams. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, it was a good trip. I mean, we last week on the pod, we uh, Mike, we talked to Gina Mizell, esteemed Suns beat writer, and got into the Suns a little bit. But you know, we did that national blitz where we tried to focus on you know markets that are not necessarily uh, the biggest, uh, but that have good stories to tell as well. Monty opened up. I, I did. It's weird to say that you enjoy writing a story like that that comes with so much heartache and tragedy, but you know, there's a meaningfulness to it that you do try to do it justice, and people seem to enjoy it. So, uh, you know, all in all, a successful trip for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you handled it really well, and then you touched on so many elements. I mean, getting in Robert Sarver in there, just it was really well done. I appreciate it, man. That one, and, and again, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get into your work big time. But that one, because you guys can relate, isn't it interesting how, you know, when you're putting stories together and you have certain voices, certain people, who you do not think are going to be willing to talk for whatever the story angle is. I forget, Joe, if I mentioned this last week, but the Sarver one was was fascinating because you know the word I had gotten at the outset of the process was. That be it kind of unofficially that because of you know the tenor of the coverage and the negativity surrounding them for so long now that that he was taking a step back. James Jones and Jeff Bauer leading the, the way in the front office, and, and then Monty as the head coach. That Robert was not going to be all that out there media wise. Um, this though was one of those stories where whether it was Robert Sarver, Doc Rivers, Anthony Davis, because of the way people feel about Monty, Robert included. It just kind of—it's a game changer in that regard. Where I reached out to Robert and and uh, was a little surprised that that he engaged and, and was willing to chat. But uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. No, it did, and and that's new stuff. We we did not get into that last week. Um, in the event that our founders uh, Adam and Alex are actually listening, I I have done a little bit of of work. Um, I, I had you know probably the scoop of the year in the NBA. <laughs> Uh, Friday whoa, night. whoa, I, mean, I really, must have missed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think this, that anybody will be able to compete with this, that uh, that, that Kyrie is, in fact, um, not going to play here in Cleveland on Monday night or uh, in Boston on Wednesday night. He kind of had his uh, reunion tour canceled because of this uh, shoulder impingent, impingement or what have you. And that was that was all mine, fellas. I mean, you guys are really playing for seconds right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, brother. Yeah, so uh, Kirkins, uh, he, he said that that was going to happen anyway. So 
Right. You just talk to him. He told you when the season started. Oh. All right. We got to get this spotlight. We got to get this spotlight on Michael. And, and jokes aside, Michael, um, the rhythm of this job can be, you know, it can go up and it can go down. And then as both of you guys can relate to with this particular platform at The Athletic, I think it's even more distinct in that regard. Um, you and I haven't talked in a little while and we texted about some of your stories, but I'm wondering after this past seven to 10 days, two weeks, you know, on the one hand, uh, some of the stories that you've written, I'm sure have been a long time coming. You, you had a retrospective on the malice at the palace, uh, back on November 18th, 15 years after, you know, one of the NBA's toughest nights at the office and, and focusing on the idea that, that players specifically, that the optics around them had, had, healed from that moment and where the league was at at large, you know, looking at Joel Embiid through the eyes of Akeem Olajuwon and Dikembe Mutombo, uh, sitting down with Jimmy Butler, really good stuff. And that one-on-one, another Jimmy Butler piece, but how's your motor brother? Like you've been going really hard and, and pumping out great stuff. How has this stretch been for you? Yeah. I mean, it just kind of happened to come together just, just this last week. Um, you know, obviously the stories that you mentioned, um, you know, took a couple of weeks to kind of come together and they all just seemed to, kind of flow in the same week um uh but yeah it was, it's, it was a little exhausting uh a lot of sleepless nights um a lot of back and forth uh you know fortunately you know good editors with you know Khalid he Khalid Salam I gave him a lot of pr- uh, props um because he was really patient and he had to edit all that copy because I, I don't know what the inch counts were on those stories but uh <laughs> he had to read through them and sift through them and and uh you know you know give me some direction every now and then um but yeah, no, it was just kind of a kind of a fluky situation because obviously, um, you know, with Joel Embiid, that that had been a piece that I had been trying to work on pretty much this entire calendar year. Um, you know, beginning with trying to hunt down Akeem Olajuwon, um, Dikembe was a little easier, um, but then just trying to get Joel to sit down. Um, that all took a, a long, long process, and then when we were getting ready to you know get to to, to write it. He winds up getting into a little fight with Cat, you know, Cal Anthony Towns, which delays things, right. suspended, and then the Sixers wind up losing like three in a row, and it's like, well, we can't can't really run it while the Sixers stink, so let's kind of see if they can win a game, uh, and then right. so things just sort of happened to where it just happened to happen this week, which happened to be the same week, which is the 15th anniversary of the Malice in the Palace, and then obviously with Jimmy Butler going back to Philly this week, it all just kind of just kind of fell on me last week, and um, but uh, but it was fun. I mean, you know. It's, it's good to have a lot of topics, a lot of subjects that that get you juiced up and, and, and get you going. Because, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you're searching for ideas, you're searching for things that you think will um, resonate and get people excited. And, um, and you just don't know sometimes. But uh, at least for me, I know that it was fun kind of chasing down, you know, all these stories and, and, and putting them out for people. And I hope I mean, based on reception, it's been pretty positive. But um but I, but yeah, so it was it was a good week. Well, you and I were in New York um, at the same time several weeks ago, and you were chasing down, I think, the union perspective for for Malice at the Palace. And so, hearing you talk, this is this all makes me feel good because I'm a month in on two different things. With uh, I don't know when I'm going to be able to put either one of them to bed, but at some point they will, and I'll just think back to you as as the motivation for being able to to drive this home. But I I want to do ask you uh, I wanted to ask you excuse me about just being in Philly uh, this weekend because you were there and and Jimmy came back and in your piece today you you not only tease I mean you you tried to go at it about 
what happened and why Jimmy Butler is not still a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. And you say in there that no one's saying. They don't say off the record. They tighten up. It's it's kind of a weird situation. So we're just left to speculate. What do you think happened? What I think happened is um, they were fully intended when the season ended that they were going to bring the whole gang back. Um, that they were going to sign everybody. And, um, and then, you know, they were, willing, they were ready to make Jimmy the offer, uh, that he wanted, but then it got wind that got word that Al Horford was probably interested in joining them and coming down there leaving Boston behind. And I think they just uh, kind of changed course a bit and, uh, they backed out of, you know, what they had sort of agreed upon with Jimmy. And then I guess to sort of make it right. They just basically said, where do you want to play? And then wound up sending them down to Miami, you know, which is a place that always been, you know, at the top of his list. I mean, it was the team that was, you know, that he wanted to be traded to when he demanded a trade out of Minnesota. Um, Philadelphia was not um, one of the teams that he was interested in going to from the beginning. Um, but I think that, you know, being there last season and the connection that he made with Joel Embiid and the fact that they were so close to, um, you know, advancing to the conference finals, and you know, possibly winning a championship, I think he was like, "Oh, that that was that could be a place where he could, you know, stay and grow and play." But the Sixers had a lot of reasons why they probably were relieved in some respect that Al Horford was interested because the dynamic with Jimmy wasn't always the smoothest, and it was going to be even more interesting as he aged and as. Ben Simmons, who is their young stud that's supposed to emerge as being one of the leaders of the franchise, um, they were eventually going to have to probably bump heads on who had the ball. Um, you know, during the playoffs last year, you know, Jimmy took control offensively. Um, he was running pick and roll sets and he was scoring at will. And he basically did, he had some marvelous performances in the playoffs and they wouldn't have gone seven games if he wasn't on the team. And Ben sort of shrunk because he just became the defensive specialist and he was a guy assigned with Garden Kawhi. And that takes a lot of energy out of you. Um, but he also wasn't an offensive focal point. And I think that frustrated him in a lot of respects. Also with Brett Brown, um, <laughs> I think that his comments about Jimmy sort of revealed that, you know, their, that their relationship wasn't <laughs> always good and he didn't necessarily want him back. It was sort of a thing that, well, if we win, I can tolerate it. But if things get ugly, this could this could be really bad. And I think that was just a situation where uh, if you're Brett Brown, you just kind of want to continue to, you know, grow with Ben, build him up and add another stable veteran to your locker room like Al Horford. Um, I think that's just the direction they want to go. I got to ask you about the more of the Jimmy stuff, because what's funny you know, listen, this is a good problem to have at the athletic where we have, uh, you know, a deep staff and, and the national squad with the three of us, certainly big parts of it trying to do our thing. Um, I don't know that I've ever been happier. This is going to sound funny, like a funny flex, uh, for not getting an interview like I did with my failed pursuit of Jimmy Butler a couple of weeks ago. So every once in a while, like, because we have a lot of traffic to navigate, with all of us doing our own thing, you know, we try to communicate at a high level, but then I was guilty of not really sharing the fact that I was trying to connect with Jimmy and I see him in LA. Um, and I'm forgetting if that was a, that would be a Lakers game. So Miami comes through. I see him in LA. I did get a chance to catch up with him post game. Um, it was fascinating because it's one of those things where, because I hadn't seen him in a little while, 
you know, I didn't know if we were going to wrap that night, but wanted to keep the recorder in the pocket for at least a couple of minutes and catch up. So some of the elements of what was in your interview ultimately were like parts of our casual conversation when you talked about the way that that heat culture fits him, the ethos of, of kind of their history, who they are, and where what his mentality was in free agency. You know, that stuff to me was was new in terms of how deep he went on that front. And, and the idea that from a work ethic standpoint, like one kind of, you know, fitting aside that he had shared back then was that, I mean, he's got, and, and fitting also because it's LA, he's got that that Kobe thing when it comes to work. And and I remember he and I talking about- He loves to tell you about it too. He does, he does, 100%. Well, because I even, we were talking about his, I believe he's got one daughter. Yeah. And and, and about fatherhood. And, and I said, well, how are you juggling all that? And he goes, well, I go to sleep early. So on non-game nights, he's claiming that he's he's going to bed, I mean, legit like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night <laughs> and, and heading to the gym- at three, four in the morning. And, you know, and he's, he's quick to tell you that of course he and D Wade and that crew, they like their wine, but not that much during the season. And, and so just to learn a little bit about his rhythm, his lifestyle, and then ultimately to see you kind of, you know, to really dig in on all that stuff was, was great because honestly, in the wake of last summer, you know, I felt like the Jimmy subplot was still, you know, one that was just hanging out there. We didn't really get clarity and a deeper understanding of why he did what he did. And, and it was great to learn more about that. Yeah. I mean, the one thing in the the, the pitch that I made to, to him and his people, you know, to kind of get the story, um, you know, uh, approved was just basically he took the unique path, you know, um, you know, all last summer it was about the dynamic duos and, you know, super teams are breaking up, but you got all these tandems now forming in Brooklyn and L.A., both LA, both L.A. teams, Houston. And right. he's a guy who's like, I am on a super team with two all-stars and I am leaving to go to Miami with this yeah. nobody. And I, I was just intrigued by that because to me it just it said a lot about him and it said a lot about how he likes to go against the grain, but also the level of confidence that, that he has in himself and – um, I mean, the story was kind of wide ranging, but I didn't get into everything that we talked about. But one of the things that we that we talked about that I didn't put in a story was how I said, I said, what gave you the confidence to bet on yourself in the situation? And he said, well, I, he said it goes back to when um, he got his max deal from the Bulls, um, you know, that that summer before they had offered him, I think, a four year, forty four million dollar extension. And this was when no one knew that Jimmy Butler was going to be any good. You know, he was like a decent player. Yeah. Um, that extension seemed pretty fair at the time, and he rejected it. And he said he was going to go for a max, and everybody's like, okay, Jimmy, right, you know. Right, right, <laughs> he right. That big, lump, that big leap his fourth year, and, you know, they gave him that max contract. And he said, you know, that let me know that I'm, I'm a pretty good player, you know. And uh, I think that from that point on, he just sort of had the, the belief that he could bet on himself and that he could step out and – and do things, um, you know, differently than anybody else. Now, of course, I, I think he is hopeful that, you know, Miami can add another piece, you know, they can find another player out there who wants to be a part of that culture, who wants to be a part of that kind of grinded out, you know, um, that tough, you know, gritty, you know, um, identity that, that the Heat has. I think if they can add another piece, then, then it'll, it'll pay off in that way. Uh, but he, he didn't have any fear about going there. And I think that his relationship with Dwayne Wade, you know, went a long way. Um, his influence, um, it just so happened 
that, you know, the the last game, his Dwayne Wade's last home game was against the Sixers last season. And he's there. He's seeing just the way the, the crowd is just serenading. Yeah, that was interesting. The whole time. And he's seeing just the love that they're showing to this guy. And he's just sort of in his mind, like, yo, <laughs> I would love to have that, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think that, you know, he wants to be a part of that culture so much. And we talked a little bit about the his first conversation with Pat Riley and just he didn't want to, he didn't get in the details of everything that he said. But basically what Pat Riley told him is that, you know, they want to hold him accountable and they expect him to hold everybody else accountable. And that's all he ever wants. Like he wants that kind of um, demanding coaching from the front office. He wants people to push him. Um, he wants people to get more out of him than maybe what he expects of himself. You know, you look at his relationship with Tibbs um, in, in Chicago, you know, that was a guy that just said, you know what, Jimmy, I'm going to play you 48 minutes a game and just see what you got. <laughs> and, you know, and just, and just keep pushing you, make you, put you up against the best perimeter player, make you a defensive stopper. Okay. And now I'm going to give you the ball. I'm going to make you a score. I'm going to let you do all this stuff. See what, show me what you got. You, uh, I mean, you wrote it. I mean, you said that Jimmy craves what the heat do. Like the, he craves not only the discipline, but sort of the intensity to the craft. Um, you know, Eric will say, I mean, he said this for years, long after LeBron left, that the Heat aren't for everyone, which is interesting just because not only you have, you know, Pat Riley with a million rings and Dwayne played there forever and LeBron and Chris Bosch were there. So these like mega superstars, Shaq, have gone through. But then you think about the beach and, and South Beach and just the lifestyle down there that it wouldn't be for everybody. But then you get a sense of who they are as a system. And that's, that's very true. Um, I did want to, I wanted to shift to the next, to the other thing. Um, this was something you had told me was coming when we were in New York. Um, something that you'd been working on for a long time about Joel and, and Akeem Olajuwon and African centers. You know, just the other day, I mean, he, he didn't play center, but Lou Aldang, I think, ran for mayor maybe somewhere over, over there and, and where he's from. I think I saw that um, just as as an aside. But but yeah, I, I just an incredible idea to um, and, and get on your part to be able to talk to to uh, Olajuwon and then also to to get Joel to open up the way that you did. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I can tell you guys now, it was, uh, it was not easy to get, you know, all, all the pieces to come together. I mean, the first piece obviously was, uh, Kim Olajuwon and, um, I got him in Houston, uh, last season actually, um, just, uh, you know, working with, uh, his people and trying to get set it up. And I, I flew to Houston to get him, and it was, it was crazy because, you know, Akeem, you know, he works out at you know this gym in uh, you know suburban Houston and um he's like he works out like at a regular gym like where everybody is there you know and it's not even a big deal that the team works out there so so when I walked into the gym and you know he told me to meet him there for the interview and uh and so I went there and I said yeah I'm here to meet Akeem Olajuwon I said oh yeah he's upstairs just going up and I went up there and Akeem is just like talking to somebody, just uh, just a regular dude, you know, in, a, in the weight room. And, <laughs> and like he's just talking to him and like, wow, this, Akeem is just really down to earth. And and I had never met him before. You know, um, you know, he he re- his last season in the league was my first season, but I, he was with the Raptors then. So that wasn't <laughs> uh, a guy I was really pursuing for stories. Um, but I never I never really met him or talked to him before. So I didn't know how it was going to go. And um, he told me that, you know, I'll give you a half hour. 
And I said, okay. And we wound up talking for over an hour. And because uh, we started, because I, I, I knew I knew his story, but I didn't know it, you know. Um, and I just wanted to have him just sort of tell me about his journey from Africa. And because I don't think people really uh, appreciate or acknowledge the role that he played in opening the door for international players. You know, we're so accustomed to seeing you know, Giannis winning MVP and, you know, Dirk winning championships and Tony Parker being finals MVP. And, and, you know, so it's not even a big deal for us anymore, but this guy did this 40 years ago. You know, he came here without knowing anything about the United States, without even playing basketball. He only played basketball for like six months before he came to the U S. So just think about how crazy his life was like his senior year in high school he goes to like this basketball clinic and he just sees this guy dribbling a ball and he's like, oh my gosh, I love this. I want to do this. And six months later, he's at, you know, in Houston, you know, um, you know, playing college basketball and trying to explain to his parents that he could actually get a scholarship to play sports, uh, a sport called basketball that they didn't even know he was playing until three months earlier. <laughs> I mean, just see, see it all come together. And I'm sure the story has been told, but for me, it just felt new. And, um, and when I was thinking of the story, I was just sort of just thinking about Joel Embiid. And um, I remember, you know, he had gone back to play at one of those games in South Africa. And someone asked him a question about, you know, Africa and just what it meant to him. And he, he went on this kind of nice locally about how much, how much pride he takes in being from Africa. And it just always stuck with me. And so when I made the pitch to Akeem, I wanted to talk to him about his history, but also about um, his, his impressions of Joel Embiid. And, and my goal was to get him and then have Joel uh, hear what they had to say and then respond. And, um, and so I got Akeem and, and then from there, the, the, the problem last year was trying to get Joel um, I don't know if you remember last season, Joel had knee tendonitis, um, like after the all-star break and he wound up missing like 10 of the last 25 games. And, um, so things were kind of funky with the team chemistry. Things were a little bit off in the regular season in Philly. So I never could get him. And then once it got close to like March, they just, the team was like, yeah. And his, and his, you know, publicists, they're all like, no, he's, he's in playoff mode. Like he's, he's shut down you know, interview. So he's not doing any kind of talking. <laughs> I have this great interview with Kim Olajuwon <laughs> uh, with all the great stuff. And there's going to be more to come from it, you know, um, you know, from that, from that interview. Cause we talked about a lot, a lot of topics that I'm excited to kind of turn into other stories down the road. Um, so there will be more to come from that interview. I didn't realize that you had actually gone to his place outside of Houston and in NBA circles. That's certainly not a, a secret as far as like that. He's trained guys there for quite some time. Things I did not know that you had in your piece. Um, I didn't know the nature of that business relationship when guys would go train with him. You mentioned kind of in passing that, you know, some guys are, are cutting six figure checks to, to go work with him, which is pretty fascinating. And then because you went there, I mean, you, you know, kind of paint that picture for us a little bit. Uh, how far out are you going? What's the ranch itself look like? And, and what kind of scene did you, you find out there? Oh, no, it was, I went to, we, I just met him at the, at the gym where he worked out and, um, they wound up getting an office for us to sit down and talk. And, um, and like he, he's, he sat behind his office and I mean, in, in a chair and we just sat there and just, just kind of talked for a long time. And, and, uh, it was just cool just to see him, um, 
just sort of break down his affinity for the game. And he was telling me about his kids, um, you know, how they just started playing basketball. And he was telling me like his uh, sons had just started playing basketball. And he said that he told them, he said, the minute you play, you're going to fall in love. And, um, and they, 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 he said they did like they, the first time they picked up a ball, like his sons are like addicted. So get ready for, to watch the Elijah one boys come up soon. Cause they're going, <laughs> Man. They're going to play. um, but, uh, but no, I don't know if they're any good or anything, but he, he did say that, uh, they, they do love the game already. And, um, but, but yeah, so it, it was just, it was just kind of a cool thing. And, um, and he had, he, he had never, I was surprised that he had never met Joel. I just assumed that, that at some point over time, it would just seem like a natural thing that somebody would connect them either, uh, you know, face to face. Now, obviously, right. when Joel was, you know, declared for the um, NBA draft, um, Luke Mbamute, who was, you know, really, really instrumental in getting him to the United States and getting him uh, to the NBA, he 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 got him connected with uh, Hakeem for like a, a phone call, and Joel told me that you know they committed to working out you know, that summer, um, that they were going to spend some time together, but uh, Joel obviously got hurt right before the draft. And that's one of the reasons why he slid to number three. Um, and that's why the Sixers were willing to take him because they knew he was going to miss a year, you know, <laughs> in that process. So right. have a problem, you know, with punting on another year, but, uh, but yeah, so they, they spoke and, uh, Joel said it, he really didn't know what to say cause he was just so nervous. Um, cause it was somebody that he had looked up to, for so long and he finally got a chance to speak to him. And so he kind of was just listening <laughs> more than anything else. He didn't really have anything to say other than, you know, that he was going to go pro. Um, and he, he told me that like, even when he did that, he, he just never felt confident that he was ready to go. Uh, yeah, but he just also knew that he couldn't really take any more risks. Um, you know, cause if he didn't come out when he did, you know, he wound up getting hurt again, you know, and miss another year of college, you know, who knows how far he would have fallen. Um, the next time if the draft came around. So um, he just didn't have a lot of time um, to to spare. He just had to go right when people wanted him. So we have the three of us here together, and this is the first time this season that um, that we've gotten a chance to talk to Michael. So we've got three of our national insiders here on, and um, – you know, the story that's, that people have been talking about for, for weeks and months, um, just in terms of something that may happen is this idea of shortening the schedule. And now here we are. Um, and there was a report, uh, out of the, or from this weekend that, that yes, indeed, the league and the players union are talking about this, but it's not really a shortening scheduler at all. And I think that's where I want to start with this. Just, I, I just, I, I think we should talk about it. Um, is, you know, I mean, without getting into all the details, I mean, basically they're talking about two major things, an in-season tournament, um, that would, that could reduce the number of games you play from 82 down to 78, but it could also increase the number of games you play to 83, um, and then there is a there's a reseeding at the at the conference final level in the uh, in the tournament, and it just guys it doesn't sound even remotely close to me uh, to addressing the the problem that I think we all agree exists in in this league, which is superstars taking nights off when they aren't hurt. I'm with you for sure. I mean, the thing that, that jumps out at you the most is you're talking about the appearance of sweeping changes 
and then you get down to the nitty gritty and and what what did make me chuckle a little bit about you know a particular line in the ESPN report was that uh, there is even a small scenario or a small likelihood rather that the, a team or two could play 83 games which is quite incredible um so it it doesn't check that box you i wondered on the back end you know is it something where they feel as if they need to get you know the revamp structure in place and then uh you know that there's kind of a handshake deal that the number of games will eventually go down i mean cuz that's the puzzling part here is i understand the revenue driving that comes with a possible play in tournament you know at the midway point of the year roughly um but the load management stuff it does not seem to be actually impacted in any meaningful way no not at all and i think i mean i just real quick i mean the <laughs> The, the the schedulers this year and and you know I've written about this but basically the way it works is the the networks really drive the schedule from the standpoint of it starts with who they want on the national in the national games and by having in consecutive weeks putting the Clippers on ESPN on a Wednesday night followed by um, TNT taking them on a Thursday night that was basically setting up a network to, to miss out on Kawhi Leonard. Um, so that is, I mean, that's what makes this already like a real problem even worse to, to start the year. But yeah, I, I just, I, the only way I think that you're going to get rid of load management is to shorten the games. I've also, I'm wondering, and I wonder, Michael, what you think about this. Could you do, could, what about a rule that says, okay, if you miss if you if you miss one game, then you have to miss a second? Would that would that curtail this behavior? Um, no, I, I just I, I'm I'm infuriated by all of this. Like I am I am furious about all of this about that conversation about reduction of games. Um, I'm furious about the concept of this whole playing tournament, all this other garbage that I just think is just unnecessary. And I'm curious conversation it. about low management. Like it, it, it drives me through a wall. Like I am in, I am insanely upset about this. Like it, it, cause, cause I, and I'll address it. Okay. When it comes to low management, we're talking about less than 2% of the entire league is being low managed. Everybody's not being low managed. The superstars in this league are playing every night. The only guy who isn't, you know, that, that low management is all about is about Kawhi Leonard. We're talking about one guy. We are literally talking about one guy who is being low managed. And why is he being low managed? Because he has an injury. Because he has an injury right. history. And I'm like, would you rather have Kawhi miss 20 games a season as a healthy scratch? Or would you rather have him miss 73 games because he's hurt? Or would you rather have him miss 15 to 25 games a, a year because he's actually hurt? I feel like I would rather have, if you ask, put down the scenario, ask anybody, would you rather have 60 games of a healthy Kawhi or 20 games of a healthy, hurt the other 60? Which one do you want? You're going to take the healthy Kawhi and under all, under all circumstances. And last year, we saw that load management worked for Kawhi Leonard, but it's not being utilized for everyone else. If you go to see Milwaukee Bucks, you're going to see Giannis, Giannis Kupo play. If you want to see the Lakers, you're going to see Anthony Davis and LeBron James out there on the floor completing and busting their tails. You go to the Houston Rockets, James Harden out there every night, giving it all he's got. The top players in the game are out there every night competing. 
they're not taking nights off until like the sec- second half of the season after the All Star break when they're gearing up for the playoffs. And I understand that you got to do that. But load management is not some epidemic that's like tr- troubling uh, troubling the league. You know, let's right. let's let's just, right. let's just let's just right. try. It's all about terminology, but it's also about like perspective. Like if we're going to right. change the right. whole right. league over one guy, then I think we're taking everything a little bit too far. And I know there's been right. situations right. like say a guy like. Um, you know, John Morant has been low managed, and I, don't, I have an issue with that. But, but I think for the most part, it's not some league-wide epidemic. It, and most of the stars in this game, they go out there and they play. But if it's an injury-prone star, if it's a Joel Embiid, who you know they don't really want him to play back-to-back games, but he wants to go out there and compete, then then I understand that too. Do you want the guy here most of the year? Do you want him playing to the point where he winds up being hurt? Giannis played 72 games last year, um, and and so did Luca. Now, th- that is probably – I mean, and I actually – I voted for, for Giannis for, for MVP, and he won it. So he he made, he met my basically bare minimum threshold of games you have to play to be – for me to consider you for an MVP. I think you have to play a bunch of games. But he, he was – like – he did sit like, you know, what we would call the bullshit games. Like he, there were nights where he didn't play in Cleveland because Cleveland was awful last year. And, 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 you know, Luca kind of the same thing. And this actually, like, they just started calling it load management because of like, that's what they came up with, with Kawhi. But like, you know, the league had to send a memo the day that the Cavs, this was a few years ago, decided to sit LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin the same game against the Clippers out in LA on a on a ESPN Sunday or something like that. So it's like, you know, and the Warriors were doing the same shit. I mean, so this like it's it may not be an epidemic, but it it's there are more examples than just Kawhi. People understand in March games, missing games after the All-Star break, you know, that stuff happens. Like that's that's sort of been happening since the Spurs started doing it, you know, um, with uh, with Popovich and those guys. But I think Kawhi is the only guy who does it in October and November. And I think that's why people are harping on it right now. But I, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily something that shouldn't be expected when you get to March and April, when you get to March and April at the end at the end of the year, because you guys you definitely want to have. You know, you're you're worried about playoff positioning, but you also want to have your guys healthy and ready to play. And so um, that's sort of just been a thing that that you've been kind of doing for years. But I just I look at the history of the game. Uh, I have an affinity for statistics and numbers and and they, they do mean something to me. Like the fact that LeBron has a chance to, you know, be the all time leading scorer is significant to me. And that's one of the reasons why I believe he plays as often as he does, because he's not just worried about. You know, he wants to be considered great and he wants to play every chance he has on the floor, but he's also chasing Kareem. He's got to go out there and play. He's got to go out there and compete. James Harden, I mean, he want, like Houston can't load manage with him. He wants to go out there and play. Like he always wants to be out there on the floor. Yeah, I mean, considering that the league is already talking to the union about this, one of the pet peeves I have with the way the union functions is that, you know, you've got your executive committee and, and currently certainly Chris Paul is the president and then his board from there, a bunch of guys who know what they're doing. Um, I wish they had more of a, a formal voting system and, and maybe there's more to this that we're not aware of, but I would love to know all the way down, you know, the call it a player poll, call it a, an official vote, uh, how players feel about the idea of, you know, the sanctity or lack thereof of the 82 game schedule because the historical stuff 
that you're hitting on. Like I can dig that for sure. You're talking about changing the landscape. When we look back at these history books, even if it's a couple of games that I think that point does land. And then I'm with you for sure. The load management terminology is problematic. It, this is a, a not maybe the best analogy, but it's if you go, you're in you know elementary school and you go up to your teacher and say, Hey, it's third period. I could use a breather. Like I'm just, this is a little much for me right now. Like that's, that, that terminology doesn't work with your teacher. But if, but if you got a, a bug and you got a problem with you and you need to go, then you go. And, and, and I got stuck in the middle of that a little bit a few weeks ago with Kawhi and, you know, the night essentially that Doc Rivers got fined for saying publicly that Kawhi was fine when, when they had indicated otherwise to the NBA. And I tell you, like to see it unfold in real time was a little surreal because I, I can't remember a time when the NBA pushed back as hard as it did because they refused to accept the optics that they were simply looking the other way uh, for one player on the load management front. And then, as you guys know, they even went to the very rare degree of sharing a player's medical information where, you know, they're getting medicals on Kawhi and they know what's going on. And they basically blew the whistle and said, well, since the Clippers won't say it, we're going to say it. Here's what he's got. Um, and even since then, have you know, pulled that curtain back even a little bit further. So terminology should be changed. And, and I'm very curious to see where this goes because uh, the layers to it are, are seemingly endless. Yeah, now part of me, is, is, I feel like maybe I'm just an old fogey too. So, I mean, I, I could just be just an old dude. But I also feel like, you know, I, like, am I not being progressive enough? Should I think of some other things? But this is my other issue. The NBA, you know, um, has always had a struggle trying to break through because the NFL is the king of, the, of this country when it comes to interest in sports, right? And everyone says that no one cares about the NBA until Christmas anyway, blah, 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 blah. One of the reasons why they don't care about the NBA until Christmas is because the NFL season is close to being over. And that's usually the window when the NBA can kind of take over. So that's when the eyes start going away from, say, Tom Brady and start going all the way to LeBron. And that's what happens. But like, in, in the NBA understands that and they know that. But you know what's happening if you wind up playing these tournaments and doing all these things during the um, during the season to try to spark interest, you know, in the first first couple of months, people are still going to be watching the NFL. And they'll be so confused by whatever you're trying to do to generate interest in the NBA that you're basically going to alienate NBA fans who've been accustomed to one thing for a long time. And it's going to be on us to explain mm -hmm. it to him, explain it to them when it doesn't even make sense. I think what you're telling your fans, our product isn't really that good anyway. And I think that's a that's a bad way to go about doing this. Because your product isn't bad, but your product isn't top dog. Your product isn't the top dog in, in this country. You know, so ratings aren't going to be that high because right now people aren't focused on what's happening because they know that this thing's going to go on till April, right? You know, and then then the playoffs are going to come. It's going to go through June. So I, my eyeballs are on this in these NFL games right now, or even before that, my eyeballs are on the World Series and the baseball playoffs. Because I care about these things because this is like something that's happening right now. This is determining who's going to win the whole thing. The NBA season, I'll get to it when it comes. But when you do these type of things to try to gin up interest, I think you're going to wind up backfiring because what you're telling your fans and what you're telling everybody else is that your product isn't up to par. So we're going to give you some gimmicky things to sort of get you excited about this. But you're still not going to be paying attention. You're still not going to get people People who want to watch football right now, these months of the season, they're going to watch football no matter what. No matter what tournament you throw up, like they're not going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to watch the Thursday night game because, you know, uh, Phoenix is playing the uh, <laughs> Dallas Mavericks tournament game. So I got to check this out. No, they're not going to do that. They're still going to watch what they're watching because that's the way they've been programmed. 
baseball, if you're baseball, if you're the NFL, you're looking at the NFL, NBA right now, and you're laughing. You're saying, look at these guys. Look what they're trying to do to their sport. Because they're basically giving in. They're saying that their their season is worthless, and that's fine. They're, they're definitely going to be they're not. They're never going to catch us. They're never going to catch us, and that shouldn't be thing they ever think they're going to do, right? You're never going to catch the NFL. That's just the way it is right now. But doing this type of stuff to me is conceding. It is, and and then even, you know, we have we have the load management issue, which, by the way, um, Joel Embiid. I can't remember if he had did he have a specific injury last year because he played 64 games. He had tendonitis in his knee at the se- at the second half of the season. He he was okay. trying to play through as much as he could. Okay. And then they, uh, he wasn't necessarily load managed. He was sort of forced to sit because he played so he played himself into the ground and he got hurt. My, my bigger point was, um, so we have the guys who just sit, just don't play, and it 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 lends to this idea that the that the uh, regular season isn't isn't important. But then we, especially during the era of the sort of the Eastern Conference dominance by the Cavs and the Western Conference dominance by the Warriors, where they basically told you that the regular season was not what mattered and they would do things like not play defense at all. Uh, the Warriors, not as much as the Cavs, but I mean, but we ha- we'd see this throughout the league and, 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 and we would hear things like, you know, <laughs> we're just, you know, wake us up come April. And, and I thought that that took away from the importance of the regular well, season. Thank God we had Jimmy Butler to, to get our attention early last season. You know what I mean? That, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Warriors, you know, who put it all in the season and then wound up Blame it out when it came time to win a championship. We need to put all our eggs in the regular season because they got a they got a wins record and the Cavs got the ring. The, the NFL goes seven plus months without a game. I mean, if, like let's let's take the preseason out of it because no one cares. So seven and a half months without a game that counts, and it does not only. Then of course they play once a week, and so you know. <laughs> the, more people want to watch that stuff because it's not on as much. There's more of a premium. I mean, in the NBA now, my goodness, um, you know, we, we end our finals mid to late June and then we're starting again mid October with these games that count. Same in the NHL. I mean, it just like, how could you ask anybody to care until December? I mean, Sam was telling me off air that he Man, doesn't care. Just throw December. me out of the bus. No, he, he, he didn't, he didn't say that. <laughs> By the way, the the Niners the Niners are up ten nothing on the Packers. I feel like it's a good time for a, an NFL update, and we should also update um, yeah. that uh, you know we we've uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and um, it's you know it's probably time to say goodbye in part so Sam can pack right. Sam, isn't that isn't that what we're doing this week? Indeed, Michael Joe Joe made me uh, you know air air my laundry publicly on on the Tampering Pod. So I'm going to give this backdrop. Years and years ago, our mutual friend and colleague, Brian Wentorst of ESPN, um, had, I forget the specifics of this, but he put this thought in my head about how NBA writers like himself should not have an ounce of guilt over the idea of taking a few days off earlier in the regular season. I don't know if, if Brian has done this every single year, but he has definitely multiple times in the past taking a vacation in like the November, December, you know, area with the mentality being that, yes, you know, it's the, the heart of the regular season, but you still have a ways to go before the trade deadline. And we all know that we're going to be doing this thing through mid July. If anybody listening doesn't 
have a grip on the NBA schedule from a media standpoint, that's our finish line, not the NBA finals, not the draft. It's, it's, you know, NBA free agency in mid July. So yes, uh, tomorrow morning, I might be going to a, a tropical island that is west of California, and uh, and and Joe's just trying to make sure everybody knows this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I wish I had thought of doing that myself, but uh, I, yeah, I got other priorities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your wife would kill you at this point. Well, and maybe we I'll get a few points that. out of this. You know, this is the you know a free ad for Southwest. That was a game changer. They started flying out of yes. my neck of the woods, and uh, suddenly, you know, the the Hawaiian flights are a little more doable. But rest assured, I'll be up late tonight trying to get one more uh, byline in before we we head out for a couple of days. But but looking forward to it. It'll be a, a nice little change of pace for Thanksgiving. What are you going to eat for Thanksgiving dinner out there? Pineapple. Funny you should ask. We gotta we gotta decide. You know, these are first world problems. But there was a uh, there was an a, an email that landed in my inbox where they will uh, if you if you're willing to cut the check, they'll give you the the old school treatment with the turkey and the potatoes and stuffing and all that, where you don't even have to worry about cooking or you, we're kind of leaning, I think, towards doing the, uh, you know, the Hawaiian style, maybe some, some, you know, Kahlua pork and, and add some other side dishes, make it a little more of a kind of, you know, local fare. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would do it locally. Yeah. I w- locally. That, that sounds like a, a cool thing. You know, I, I've only spent one Thanksgiving uh, outside of the United States, and it was memorable for uh, a number of reasons. Uh, because my the meal that I had, believe it or not, Thanksgiving that year was uh, McDonald's. Oh, wow. It was the best McDonald's I ever had, and I'll tell you why. Because I had gone to uh, Washington Post. When I worked at the Washington Post, they sent me to Europe to uh, do um, to go to Russia, Serbia, and Lithuania to kind of you know cover their basketball um, factories and how they produce all these young talents. And, um, and so Lithuania was my last stop. And so I went to a game uh, out in uh, Vilnius. Uh, uh, no, Zalgiris, in Zalgiris, which is like 45 minutes from Vilnius. So we drove out to the game. This is my last game, two weeks of being on the road. We went out there, and uh, so we had to take the 45-minute drive back down to Vilnius. And so I said, hey, man, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. So the, the guy I was with, he took me to McDonald's, which was right by the arena. And so we wound up eating. And like the entire time we're eating, I'm like reaching in my pocket. And I'm like, uh, hmm. And I keep reaching in my pocket, and my pocket is empty. I realized that I left my tape recorder at the arena. And so <laughs> we wound up driving from McDonald's back to the arena, and somebody had picked up my recorder, and they, they, they saved it, and they gave it back to me. Now, mind you, if we hadn't eaten at McDonald's, I would have driven all the way back 45 minutes away and lost two weeks worth of interviews. So McDonald's tasted good. McDonald's came through for me. I know you don't care. No, of course. I mean, you know, anytime we can talk a little McDonald's, it's good, it's, uh, it's good stuff here. I, I like it. I I, uh, I do think that um, it's time to say happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody and everybody have a great week. And Michael gets some sleep and Sam gets some sun. And, you know, maybe uh, the athletic will even get a little work out of me. Who knows? I was saying, Joe, get some Brooklyn, man. <laughs> no kidding. It's about time. It's about time. So, uh, Michael, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. And thanks for everyone listening out there. We'll uh, talk to you next week.